0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of the Mobile Growth Podcast by Mobile Action. I'm your host, Taha. Each episode, we are talking with mobile growth experts about their stories, growth strategies, new trends, along with their advice to the new app developers and marketers. And today I'm joined by a guest who is working on growing an app, which I believe most of you are really familiar with. And for the last couple of years, they've created a brand where people are enjoying a really good community and a beautiful product. And yes, today I'm sitting down with Thomas Penn from STEEZY. Hi Thomas, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Taha, thanks for having me.
0: Sure, it's a pleasure. So before we start, I have to ask, are you a dancer? And if so, did you learn it with STEEZY?
1: So, no, I am not a dancer. Um, and that didn't necessarily hurt me in my candidacy for this position here at STEEZY. If anything, I I feel like it's an advantage of sorts because a lot of individuals at our company, a majority of the company, um, have backgrounds as dancers. And that's amazing. Our CEO, our president and CEO have had over a decade each of experience um, wow. in competitive dance as well. Um, and then there's me. And then there's some of my peers who had zero experience. I literally have two left feet. Um, fun fact around dance, actually. One of my New Year's resolutions in twenty nineteen uh, in 2020 um, was to learn how to dance. And uh, I just so happened to join STEEZY about a year ago in 2020. So those stars aligned. Um, I'm still taking beginner classes. I should be better at... Uh, taking classes more consistently, but um, it's an amazing experience. I also really appreciate the fact that as a beginner um, or brand new dancer, I'm able to provide feedback to the product and content team. So I'm able to dog food it. I'm able to be a guinea pig to really Mm -hmm. be uh, one of our target users or target personas for our product, for our app, and for the company. That's awesome. Happy to hear that. So um, let's get to know you a bit.
0: I know that you've been running user acquisition initiatives for various companies at the past and now at STEEZY. And I want to get back to a little bit to your day when you graduated from college and at that very day, how did you decide to pursue a career in user acquisition? And how did you get where you are today?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Taha, to answer the question, uh, I did not, upon graduating college, uh, decide to have a career in user acquisition or in growth marketing. I actually started off in finance um, mm-hmm. when I graduated. I don't think user acquisition was really a career that anyone thought of uh, having or really you know, saying, here's my five year plan. I want to transition into user acquisition. Um, so for me, I, I will admit it was part luck. Um, it was part uh, a set of complementary skills that I gained with my background in finance. And also um, shout out to the first user acquisition you know, role that I had at uh, the mobile gaming company, Scopely. They took a chance on me um, and you know, I'm very wow. grateful for everything I learned there. And uh, here I am today, you know, taking a lot of best practices I've learned throughout um, there. So um, I guess for anyone listening, um, it's great to be thoughtful and plan out where you want to be, where you want to go, what you really want in your personal life and, of course, your career. But sometimes, you know, you can't predict the future. So um, definitely be flexible about those plans. Right. It's great to plan, but also be open to opportunities that come out of nowhere. I mean, who would have thought, you know, all these things that have happened in the past year, year and a half? You know, no one would have predicted that. So um, you got to be flexible sometimes and open to other opportunities that sometimes just fall into your lap. Um, so, in, in regards to my background, um, mentioned I started off in Scopely and mobile gaming. I did growth marketing for writer acquisition um, at Uber for a little while. And then I dove into the world of startups. So I've been in spaces such as FinTech, health tech, entertainment tech, and now I'm here at STEEZY um, as a director of growth. Uh, and STEEZY is interesting because depending on who you ask or depending on the, the user, we are lumped into, we're, we're sort of sitting on the fence between health and fitness and education. So, depending on how the user, you know, takes the classes, depending on you know who our partner rep might be, we might fall under one category or, or the other. Because we do have users who really look to Steezy not only to learn, um, but also truly as like a fitness alternative or one of their options to stay fit. I can definitely say. And for anyone that has a dance background. You start sweating uh, pretty quickly if you're getting into it, so it's a great sort of cardio exercise, um, and also really just great all around to not only exercise physically but also your brain. Um, as someone that has two left feet, it's actually such a great challenge mentally to build that skill of learning how to, you know, have that hand-eye coordination to remember routines to do a new uh, to do a new practice and learn a new skill. So, um, very very interesting in regards to how the external world sort of views us and how our users view us. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you actually answered my second question, but I
0: am going to ask it either way, just because I'm really interested in how STEEZY started and evolved into a community of the Mm -hmm. people, you know, who are really gathered around something that is really passionate for them, which is dance. I don't believe that that was the plan at first, right? How did it evolve into a company like this over the years?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So Steezy started in 2014. um, And when it started, it was a dance content blog. Evan and Connor, uh, our founders, um, wanted to create content and create a space for the dance community to learn, to engage, and... um, to to have a resource for all things dance. So um, there just really wasn't anything out there. I mean, mean, dance today even is still really focused on physical studios. Um, And if it's not a physical studio, a lot of people go to YouTube to learn. And those are all great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those um, resources. But... Starting from that blog, um, the company wanted to disseminate best practices and build that community. And they started to realize that um, there was more that they could do on that front. And they started creating classes. Um, They went through their network as individuals that have had combined over 25 years of dance experience. They really built that network, built their own name, and reached out and started creating classes with these other individuals. Um, And they started selling those classes Um, and they realized, hey, we could sell it a la carte or we could start building a subscription model. Um, And when they started the subscription model, they only had 14 classes in the library. I believe it's 14, somewhere in the teens. So it's not like they had thousands and thousands of classes. You know, they, they didn't have any, you know, world renowned superstars, you know, in in their library, but they saw that demand. And they started realizing, okay, this is something we could build. We could scale. People want to pay for us. It's not freemium. Um, and they started to go from there. And over the past few years, we now have over a thousand classes, um, a, a healthy number, more than a thousand classes. And we're we're starting to launch or, or release new classes at a very healthy clip. We have over a dozen dance styles. We have a lot more in the pipeline even down the rest of the year. We've really built a vertically integrated sort of system from sort of recording all the way towards distribution. So super exciting. Um, Since 2014, the company has come a long way in regards to, um, this isn't a company slogan, but honestly, democratizing dance, right? Dance used to be such an unattainable thing. Like when I said, hey, I want to learn how to dance, that was my 2020... Uh, New Year's resolution, honestly, I didn't do anything about it. It's just scary, right? But we actually have a process and we have content that's really built for beginners, but also we have content for pros and advanced dancers um, that might not be able to go to LA, you know, because they don't live in LA. They don't have the schedule that allows them to learn from the best dancers, but you could do it on the Steezy Studio platform. That's awesome. That's glad to hear you are democratizing the
0: dance the way actually we learn dance just because i really know you know some days that i want to start dancing and somehow i didn't really look into it but i just started to see my options of how i can learn and actually other than steezy and actually there are some other um, apps or ways that you can find online Mm There are not too much of a thing that you can do other than going to a class in person and that is really something that is not, you know, 2020 or 2021 on post-COVID worlds. That's 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 glad. That's really good to hear. So let's jump into the mobile uh, growth side of the things. So I know that you are uh, really big on the content marketing, and I will ask you how STEEZY creates its content and what's the way of distributing it for you uh, on the market.
1: Yeah. Definitely. So we can start with how we create our content. So we actually create our content in-house, right? We have a content team. We have a production team. We have studios in our company office. So what's really cool um, is when we're working in the office in Los Angeles, you know, there are classes being shot. Like you could actually go walk 20 feet from your desk or if you're at the you know one of the tables in the kitchen area you could just sit there eat your lunch and watch people practicing or actually recording the classes that we will put we will edit first and then put up onto our platform at a later date um, so that's what i mean by it's sort of integrated and with that um our editing studio you know is right next door we're able to really do this all super efficiently it's all in one location the talent comes to our studio um, so we're able to have a very lean process on that front and really end to end move quickly and get things out the door. Um, but it definitely takes, it takes a village to make all this happen. It's definitely not a light lift. It's something that the team has iterated a ton upon, and it's really cool just to see that really have been manifested and going from, you know, building out more studios, you know, it's not just one now, cause we're creating so much content. Some types of styles require a different type of setting in regards to a studio. Um, so with that content in regards to distribution, I think one thing that we've been focusing a little bit more on, and something for you know other folks in the space to consider—not apples to apples—but really hopefully inspire and like provide some ideas in regards to uh, in relation to the reality that the acquisition ecosystem is drastically changing. I don't need to get into too much more detail about that, um, mm-hmm. but we have to get more creative across the board. So on the content side. Um, really thinking about how all, you know, your company, um, you know, whoever the listeners are like create content, how you can use your existing content within your app or within your product to really do some more of that heavy lifting in regards to acquisition. So maybe that's a novel concept. So totally fair to say, Hey, Thomas, what the heck do you mean by that? Like that doesn't make any sense with my product. So I'll start with STEEZY on a high level, and then I'll sort of bring in a couple of other examples that might bring a little bit more inspiration on that front. So for STEEZY, um, one thing that we sort of broke this down into and where we do have an unfair advantage on this front, because you know, our product is content, (laughs) um, we do have a little bit of a head start on that. Um, I like to sort of use reforges model. Um, so some of some of the listeners maybe have heard of Reforge is a program that's more focused on growth, um, growth related programs, cohort based learning um, with a lot of professionals, like really awesome and smart people in the space started by Brian Balfour. Um, they sort of break content or sort of content strategy as it pertains to growth into three different buckets. So there's company generated content. There's supply generated content and then there's user-generated content. So, company, so CGC, supply, SGC, and then user, UGC, generated content. So if you apply that to STEEZY's model, which fits really well with this because we just happen to check all three boxes because of the way we're positioned. Um, Company-generated content. Well, as mentioned, we have online dance classes, so that's a company-generated content. Um, and that's what we use for, you know, encouraging our users to pay for a subscription and access all these classes, all these styles that we have, um, you know, with our custom proprietary player as well. Additionally, we could take that company-generated content. Um, we can slice it, dice it, and dice it. We could use blooper reels, which we do. We could do a lot of other stuff with this content and post onto our social channels. And because dance is such such a broad topic uh, not only for educational purposes on our site but also for entertainment. so we sort of use it in an edutainment standpoint mm-hmm. um, That's how we sort of build additional audiences with our within our social channels and our ecosystem and we're also able to acquire more users that way through those organic channels by using company generated content. So the next one is supply generated content, right? So this is a little bit more related to marketplaces. And even though we're not a marketplace, our supplies are instructors, right? Our instructors support us to create that content. So how can we work with our instructors to create content to help us continue to distribute, you know, the awareness consideration and the eventual action to subscribe and try STEEZY. So it just so happens with us, Um, recording classes at STEEZY, you know, hanging out, dancing with cool people or your friends or your peers is just super conducive to creating that supply generated content. So um, that really sort of is a self-reinforcing loop on that front. So a lot of our instructors um, just post about STEEZY because it's fun. It's cool. You know, it's something Mm -hmm. that they're up to in their day to day. Um, and lastly, is user generated content. So that's the most common, right? Go to any social network; it's really powered by user generated content. I could post something on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, etc. Our users do that too because they're having a ton of fun when they dance. We have our own Facebook community of thousands of users. Um, they constantly share um, the content of like, here, here's this dance class I took. Critique me. Here's this, um, you know, other dance class I took. Um, you know i just want to share because you know i'm learning a new style and this was really challenging i'm really
0: I'm sharing the videos of practicing
1: yep yeah Ooh, awesome. so so we have you know that group where it's we do have we do have a community lead who helps to like shepherd the whole group and like um you know make sure it's a really safe space and there's a lot of great content but we don't ask for individuals to or or the group to necessarily post anything um, they just do it on their own because it's such a great community. So, you know, is there something, you know, for everyone out there? Can you even just create your own Facebook group? You know, send an email or create push notifications to be like, hey, we just created this new Facebook group, check it out. You know, this is for members only, this is only for subscribers. We make it exclusive too, because that way um our users who are in that Facebook group know like these are people who are really dedicated. And we've seen retention be significantly higher. You know, for these community members, and it's a Facebook group, right? Any of us can create that mm-hmm. Facebook group, and as long as you as you have a large enough user base, there might be something there to consider, right? Um, and then what we also do is uh, similar to, for example, in gaming, there's live ops. We sort of do that within um, our Facebook group. We have weekly challenges. We might have seasonal events, um, and even our users in that Facebook group create their own challenges, like this freestyle challenge, um, which is basically you dance to a piece of music um, and you just do a freestyle, so so impromptu dancing. Um, That was actually started from a user in that Facebook group and now is a trending um, theme that people often continue to submit posts for. So a lot on that front, um, but hopefully that provides a little bit more inspiration in regards to the different types of content to to consider and how you might create Mm -hmm. content to lead to more growth. Awesome, so let's say that I have an app and I created
0: three types of content that you mentioned, the uh, company generated, supply generated, and user generated. So for me to gain new users, I need to find a way to distribute these contents, right? And how do you do it? And actually, how do you measure its success when it comes to the user growth? Do you actually, can you, um, kind of measure successfully the user generated content? I'm really not that, um, familiar with that side of the, uh, job, but could you, you know, give me a, uh, basic idea of how do you do it and you know, what are the best practices of it?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I do want to caveat that it is as much of an art as it is a science. It's not going to be perfect, Absolutely. but when you think about attribution in general, like it is more of a science, but that's also not perfect either, um, even still to this day. So we take a variety of approaches and we're continuing to evolve our understanding of this, but in regards to the distribution first, um, we have pretty large audiences um, considering considering the size of our company um, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on TikTok. So when we think about distribution and we think about any of these pieces of content, regardless whether it's company, supplier, user generated, um, we at minimum have three different ways to distribute that. Actually, I forgot, we definitely have a fourth, right? Um, Because we're cross-platform, so we also have a web product. So users provide their emails. Um, We also have Lifecycle um, on the email side, right? So we have at least three and very likely oftentimes with this content four, Sources of distributing our content, and just as an example, our YouTube, um, our YouTube channel has over seven hundred thousand subscribers. So that's definitely pretty healthy. And again, that's a big number that took a lot of time to you know build up. Right? This isn't something that's overnight success. But um, any piece of content we have, we're able to slice and dice it into something that's complementary to each of these channels. Right? For TikTok, we might have to slice and dice it into something that's you know shorter form with something on youtube we might be able to have that longer Um, on instagram could be something in between each of these audiences might have preferences and the platform itself might have some nuances in terms of what our best practices there but we're able to not only as mentioned earlier have these three sources of content we're able to distribute it across multiple outputs so basically um the, just as a way of example, we have three different sources for content so three and then you have four different platforms so you it, it's a very much a multiplier effect instead of additive mm-hmm. in regards to one piece of content being distributed in all different ways and then you have multiple sources now you get to you get to really grow exponentially in regards to what we're able to play around with on the content side. So in regards to measurement, um, definitely, some some more qualitative and hybrid quantitative ways to measure this i would say one tried and true method that i think a lot of people have either um, consciously or maybe even unconsciously seen or partaken in is how did you hear about a surveys so um, pretty pretty standard for some folks with a per- post-purchase flow even a sign-up flow um you know look look for that in the wild um, oftentimes, you might be you might see a question somewhere that asks how did you know literally how did you hear about us or where did you find Steezy first, for example. So that's really helpful to better understand. Okay, so these social channels might be a little bit more you know a little harder to measure. It's not like a Facebook campaign, but what are people saying versus what people are doing from attribution standpoint? Because you might see some difference in deltas in regards to. Um, how people are responding. Another thing, you can track this. You could, you can still track a lot of this. So on YouTube, you could still put in links. People click on them. Mm-hmm. Same with Instagram with your bio, TikTok with your bio. Um, so there still is a lot of stuff you could do on that front. Um, additionally, we we are also looking at other types of metrics um, related to uh, maybe not directly in regards to. Um, the attributable impact, but things like view velocity, right? So if we know that something has, you know, 50,000 views in the first three hours, maybe that's 2x that of a piece of content that is sort of running average, right? So there might be something Mm -hmm. to consider on that front. What does that mean in regards to that impact? Um, The other thing is, if you have enough data points at a very high volume, Um, let's say we have, you know, 10 pieces of content that have a million plus views, are you able to better understand um, within that time period, the lift in subscriptions or the lift in trials or the lift in installs? So you're able to do a little bit more robust analysis on that front. All right. So
0: before we start recording, you mentioned something really interesting to me, which is SEO, but not the way of thinking that, you know, usually, which is search engine optimization, you thought about this in a way that you said social engine optimization and the way that you think of it was, I believe is really beneficial for the user acquisition managers that are listening to us. So could you give me a little um, more on that?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, just to recap a little bit more of what you said, um, SEO, pretty standard pretty standard topic that a lot of growth folks understand search engine optimization search engine optimization excuse me um you know making sure your website or your link and even even a version of that of course uh within mobile right you know mm-hmm. um having your your app um or product be number 1 on serp um you know pretty standard right everyone gets that um, I don't know if I am the first to mention this before. I doubt it, but I didn't take this from anywhere else. I just thought of, hey, what about if you think about SEO from a social standpoint? So social engine optimization. So I've already begun to allude to that a little bit when thinking about, okay, you know, we have these different platforms. We cross promote any piece of content across of that. And we might, depending on the platform, you know, edit that piece of content to be shorter for TikTok, for example, or to be longer on um, YouTube, for example. So those are very, you know, basic versions of social engine optimization, right? So understanding Mm -hmm. your audience, understanding the type of content that that audience normally goes to the platform for, right? You go to TikTok for largely entertainment related content, Usually a minute or shorter, although more recently they've extended the maximum length to three minutes Um, and for YouTube you typically go there for longer form content You even listen to podcasts now on YouTube, Um, you know, typically there's there's a lot more rich information per video, for example, right, so so what's really interesting is we started testing, um, you know, other things in regards to this social engine optimization concept. And what I mean by that is YouTube, as an example, in March launched something called YouTube Shorts, right? So Mm -hmm. what YouTube is trying to do is actually trying to expand their library and their product offering from a content standpoint and get into the TikTok space, right? YouTube Shorts are one minute max, um, which is basically TikTok, um, largely on the entertainment side. Um, and we started testing just our TikTok content on there. Right. So um, we tested, particularly, one notable piece is one piece of TikTok content that uh, did pretty well on um, TikTok, several hundred thousand views. Um, and then, you know, a few weeks later, we were like, okay, this, this shows a lot of promise. We should just cross promote this across the platforms including YouTube mm-hmm. shorts. So then that same piece of content on Instagram Reels, um, which is also competing with TikTok because they saw the success that TikTok had, also performed similarly. That's great. When we launched this on YouTube Shorts, we we're like, hey, this is new, let's see what happens. Might as well try it out. Um, and today that short has several million views. So that's it's 20x, I think, if not at this point, getting to 30x the number of views of the t- the original piece of content on TikTok, mm-hmm. right? Why do you think uh, it is? Yes. So this goes back to social engine optimization, right? So so if I were to draw a parallel or an analogy to, let's say, Facebook marketing, right? Something that this audience is much more familiar with, you try to find arbitrage, Right? You try to, you know, whether it's through lookalikes, whether it's through interest targeting, whether it's through in today's world of, you know, iOS 14.5 and above, you know, optimizing for CPI versus, you know, CPA um, because, you know, AEO and VO are a lot less, you know, optimal than it used to be. You, know, you might actually even test driving users to a web landing page and then getting them to download, right? So then you're optimizing towards a different event, but you're playing a numbers game, right? You're trying to find that arbitrage, mm-hmm. right? If CPMs are very low in, let's say, Canada relative to U.S., but a Canadian LTV or ROAS is just as optimal as a U.S. user, wouldn't you just try to acquire as many users as possible from Canada in that case? So... In that regard, and now going back to that YouTube Shorts example, a little bit more history in regards to, you know, why, what we believe, and we're still pressure testing this and understanding this a lot more, so, you know, there isn't necessarily a strict answer. You know, why this is the case, I started to do some digging. This is super interesting, right? How did this even happen? Why did this happen? Um, YouTube Shorts uh, expanded globally in March, right? So when you think about that compared to, you um, TikTok, which, you know, since the very early days was focused on short form content um, and Instagram Reels, which launched, I believe, last fall or, or some sometime around there. YouTube Shorts is the newest platform for short form content. So that means there's less competition, right? So this just goes similarly with user acquisition. You want to go to the spaces where you could be a first mover or an early adopter, right? We applied a very similar strategy um, with our content. Um, and with that, there were less competitors. The other piece just also, uh, showing that there is a lot more opportunity here is if you think about the, the nature of YouTube as a platform, YouTube, as I mentioned earlier is more focused on long form content. So let's say the top creators in the world on YouTube, for example, easy one is Mr. Beast top subscribed channel, amazing, crazy, cool content. He doesn't create 15 second videos. He doesn't create one minute videos. He creates 10 minute plus videos. He's going to probably get into the short space. I wouldn't be surprised, but that's not his bread and butter, right? Even though he has a whole team, I'm sure they're looking into it because what better way to get more views and make more money that way too, and build your brand. But because our team has already been built out to create all types of content of all different lengths, all we need to do is redistribute it across the board and we have that unfair advantage. There will come a point where it's going to be a lot harder for us to find those types of home runs and want to have a lot more shots at that. But right now, that's what I'm alluding to in regards to social engine optimization. So, how can you take the concepts of how you've optimized all your different paid user acquisitions t- channels to more on the organic side with all these different social channels? Right. Super easy example. If you're like, "Hey, Thomas, I don't have any, um, I don't have any good organic content that people want to watch," fair. What if maybe there's some tweaking to be done on this? So I don't think you should just like do this exactly. But what if you just took your ads and put them onto a YouTube channel, right? I think there's a lot of massaging that needs to be done on that. But like, if you haven't done that, why not? Right? Those are free views, right? That's maybe something to consider, especially if your ads are, you know, not like hyper performance focus, but maybe there's a little bit more of a story or there's something, you know, to be added on in terms of value to a user who views that. So these are just ideas, but maybe something to consider. Awesome.
0: I think that's a really good way of thinking that just because most of the time we might think that we got a little stuck when we are doing user acquisition, but sometimes the answer might not be on something that, you know, we haven't discovered. So it's it's really good for, for you to say that. And my last question, but not the least, I'm going to ask you, Thomas, I just graduated from college and I heard that the Mobile UA career path is something that will be suitable for me. So if I were to ask your opinion and your advice, what would you say to me?
1: That's amazing that, you know, there are college graduates these days now saying, hey, I'm out of college. <laughs> I That's so amazing. Like I want to... <laughs> do growth like that was never something i've ever thought of when i was in college um so that's that's awesome that this new generation of younger folks are you know thinking about this um one i would say you know look at the companies and spaces that you really love and enjoy right um you know this is a career it's a sprint as well as a marathon like do, do stuff you really enjoy because it's going to potentially be for a while, um, whether if you're really into crypto, if you're really into music, if you're really into gaming, right? What are the companies you respect? Can you sort of do a little bit more homework and understand like what was their story? How did they grow? You know, are you able to give yourself a little bit of homework to do that case study? Do you enjoy that? Right. I think in particular, if you really enjoy that, maybe there is something in there for you right because you want you maybe want to do that for for the long term um easy examples like spotify right there's a lot of content about spotify what they've done on the marketing side what they've done on the growth side what they've done the use acquisition side their product right they've been around for over a decade at this point um and if you really enjoy digging into that stuff like that's a great positive sign so really give yourself a little bit of homework first like like for example me i just gave that whole social engine optimization example like i like to actually sort of nerd out about that right um and if you like to too like that's a great sign right so like better understand that too right not not just because like it's a really lucrative you know career path but like want to make sure it's sustainable and enjoyable for you so that's that's important um second be curious right like Do you sort of like looking around in the wild and be like, oh, this is super interesting. Um, You know, wow, I wonder how they did that. I wonder how they're measuring that, right? So it's sort of complimenting my first point. Example for me, NBA finals. Um, Congrats to the Bucks, um, the new champions um, for this past season. Um, There's been some really interesting marketing and growth plays that were done during the finals. Um, You know, for me, one was that was super interesting was Chipotle. Um, they gave away, I believe something like 10,000 free burritos every game during the first commercial break. So if you caught that, you had to text a certain number, their code for the game and you get a free burrito. I actually got one for game one. I I think it expires Mm. at the end of the month. So I need to use that. But, um, you know, I'm curious as to how they thought about that. How are they measuring that? What does that mean? You know, like, why are they doing it during the finals? Like, those are questions I had, right? Like, what else is happening in the wild, right? Michelob Ultra actually did something at the end of the game six buzzer. Um, They partnered with Tinker Hatfield, who's a legendary shoe designer to create a special custom Michelob Ultra bottle, right? And the number of bottles that they were giving away with the sweepstakes was based on the the final score of the winning team that won the series so the bucks scored 105 points so they were giving away 105 of these custom scarce rare bottles designed by tinker hatfield right like how did they think of that what does that mean how do they measure brand lift based on that how many hashtags were submitted on twitter etc right so again you know like be curious like look at look at the world around you and even if you're not in growth or marketing like it's still very complementary to what you're doing, right? Even if you're in product, even if you're in lifecycle, what does that mean? What can you do with that? Um, and then lastly, you know, look at other resources. Right here, we have podcasts. Um, you know, and and a lot of companies building so much amazing content, bringing awesome guests. Um, you know, not just myself. Um, so, so look into those resources and like learn and be a sponge. Um, some other favorites of mine personally, mobile dev memo, I've been sort of evangelizing them and other folks have been for some time now. Eric Sufer, I I like to regard him. I'm sure he's a lot more than this, but like, he's like a philosopher of the space. I think it's really important that every space or profession has these philosophers where they sort of expand your mind about how to think about different things and other frameworks. Um, grow.co, um, They've been around for a very, very long time as well. Um, and then there's all these, you know, events now digitally, especially, but of course, still, you know, hopefully more, you know, once it's continuing to be safer in person as well. Um, so there's so many resources out there. Um, that's what I would recommend to these folks, um, these these younger folks that are, you know, really looking into uh, growth and use acquisition as a potential career path.
0: Awesome. I would like to thank you for the name of these um, young professionals, let's say, and I hope the best for them too. And that was a great chat, Thomas. I believe we have covered really interesting and helpful topics for the people who are listening. And I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining me. Taha. Thank you. Awesome. So this is the end of this episode of Mobile Growth Podcast by Mobile Action. You can follow Thomas on LinkedIn at Thomas And also you can listen to previous episodes on your favorite podcast app or YouTube. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on the next episode.